Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41 And now, I can officially say this, on season two, I am now on TikTok, at Alex Meacham 41 This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Bearcat fans, I would like to welcome in my next guest. He is currently the Senior News Director for Content at the Enquirer. Now, he has deep roots at UC, studied journalism at the University of Cincinnati, worked for the News Record. Man, we're going to talk about that because that takes me back. (laughs) Was the sports editor at the Enquirer and was the beat reporter for UC Basketball. In 2014, he released his book, Tales from the Cincinnati Bearcats Locker Room. Like to welcome in my guy, Michael Perry. Michael, how you doing? Alex, good to hear you. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing very well. Hey, tell everybody real quick. You're originally from Cleveland, correct? Correct. Browns, Cavs, and Indians. Absolutely. Die hard. Absolutely, absolutely in the blood. So does that mean that you? I mean, you've been here long enough. Any love for Bengals? Reds. I know you love Bearcats and Muskies, but Bengals and Reds. Yeah, I mean, you you always want the local teams to do well. It's good for the it's good for the community. But uh, you know, if you're a lo- it's 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 not like this with my kids. Like they all like different teams. But I grew up with Cleveland Browns in my blood. So you can ask your guys, uh, Ruben and Steve Sanders and Mel Levitt. You know, once that's in your blood, that's it. Yeah. No way. Now the, the the Browns might need you. Well, they're playing right now. They might need you today at wide receiver. You ready? I don't <laughs> I think they have any. <laughs> I, I saw that last night that they basically had no wide receivers, but they do have two of the best running backs in the league. So yeah, we'll and see. they're playing we'll the Jets. See. And they're playing the Jets. So. <laughs> get a lot. If, if this were the Pittsburgh game, I'd be way more nervous. Yeah, for sure. Hey, you just mentioned something, and and really, if you look at it, you being from Cleveland, you covering the Bearcats. I mean, if you look at the long line of not only great players but characters in UC basketball history that are from Cleveland: Steve Logan, Melvin Levitt, Steve Sanders, Reuben Patterson. I mean, that's that's the the talent that has come out of that area and played for the Bearcats is is amazing. Yeah, those are some of the better players to come out of Cleveland in the last, you know, whatever, 20 years or so. And it's funny because I took over the UC beat when Logan was a junior, and that's kind of how I first got to start conversations with him was just talking about, you know, no notepad, no pen, just talking about Cleveland and the Browns and all that, just trying to, you know, make a connection with him. And, uh, Again, I follow all those guys on social, and I know they're all still big 
Cleveland fans. So uh, yeah. it's kind of funny commenting on each other's pages. <laughs> I know I know Ruben is. I, I know on Instagram, Ruben really, man, he goes in for his Browns, man. All of them do. Melvin Sanders, <clears throat> they're always talking about it. Man, that's good stuff. Hey, I will never forget this, and I, I appreciate this. Um, you called me. You left me a voicemail after you listened to this podcast, but specifically my interview with Tony Bobbitt. And, and I want to tell you this, Michael. I haven't had a chance to tell you this because I've been saving this for the interview. <clears throat> but when I started the podcast, I got it going. You know, I, I just wasn't sure, you know, how it was going. Because, I mean, you, I get response from Twitter, blah, blah, blah. But just you're never sure when you, when you do something how people really react to it. But I knew after you left me that voicemail that I had something really good. Like this was gold. So I really do appreciate that voicemail very much so of, of that Bobbitt interview. So thank you very much. Oh, well, th- thank you for doing this. I mean, the, the conversations you're having with the guys are great. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, similar to the concept of what I tried to do, but you're, you're up here. So they're, they're very talkative with you and very candid and, I also find that the longer that guys are away, they're less cautious of what they say. For sure. So I, they seem to really enjoy the conversations with you, and it comes across in the interviews and the information. So, uh, no, I have a great time when I'm listening to them. They're really good. And you know what's amazing to me is that, you know, a lot of these guys have never really told their full story in a long-form version, like Steve Sanders. When I interviewed Steve, he told me, this was the first interview he's ever done where people ask him or someone asked him about his football career. He goes, I always get asked about the shot, the shot. But no <laughs> one asked me about my football career. So we, we dove into that and how it intertwined with, with basketball and just kind of came to a conclusion that if you really look at it, Steve Sanders is one of the best athletes to come to the University of Cincinnati, to be able to play football at the level he did, and then just transition into playing basketball the way he did and have success. I mean, it was truly amazing. So it's been fun for me to to be able to get the guys in and, and, and talk about their, their whole story in a long form. Um, you connected me up with, and I want to thank you for this, uh, with Keith Jenkins, um, who works for you guys, the Inquirer, and, and he, he was fantastic. He really was. I got a lot of great response from that. That was a great interview. I listened to that a week or two ago, and uh, you guys had really good chemistry. It was a great conversation. Uh, Keith is very knowledgeable. So, yeah, yes, that, was he is. that was great to hear. I, I do have a bone to pick. I'm a little hurt that somehow uh, I came weeks after Byron Larkin. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I texted him. I texted him. He's a good friend. I texted him. I said, now, how did this happen? How do you get on the Bearcat podcast? I mean, come on. Well, you you know, and, and we didn't actually talk about this on the on the podcast, but you know, Byron and I go way back to when I was starting my freshman year of high school, and and he was responsible for me breaking my leg. So we've oh, had a, we had. A, I'd like to hear that. So just, <laughs> I'll give you the cliff note version. Um, I was a, a freshman going into my freshman year. I'd made varsity believe it or not, leading into the season. I hadn't even been to tryouts yet, but the, the varsity high school coach, Duke Schneider at Seven Hills, told me I was going to be on the varsity team, but I had to earn all my minutes. So I'm super excited. I'm going to a preseason open gym, and in walks 
Byron Larkin. And me being a big Bearcat fan, I see them. I, he's kind of like, quote, unquote, the enemy because he's a Xavier guy. But, you know, all-time leading scorer. You know, I think he had a workout with, you know, some NBA teams at the time. And I'm like, man, and guess who has to guard him? <laughs> this skinny 145-pound freshman. <clears throat> and he makes this move and accidentally kicks me in my knee. I go down, break my leg. And I tell you what, I, I man, he – I was so angry with him for years. And and what's crazy about it is that really led me to, you know, transforming my game and my body and it actually helped me out. So in an odd way, we have become very, very good friends and he really helped me out. I saw him in a gas at a gas station on Reading Road years later. And I was now at this point hundred and ninety two pounds was in the Bearcat weight room with Mickey Marotti, who you remember. Yep. And it was the summertime, and Byron's pumping gas. I'm getting ready. I pull up. I see him. I get out of my car, and I'm like, hey, do you remember me? And he goes, oh, Lord. He was like, oh. he's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's the first thing he said. So we go back. I mean, what a great guy, though. Like, Just don't he, give him credit for your success, Alex. Come on. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. But he had something to do with my journey that ended up pretty, no, pretty Byron good. Byron is a great guy. He's a great ambassador for, for the sport and for Xavier and uh, and a good friend. Yeah, no question. Um, tell everyone, you know, what you're, what you're doing at the Enquirer and what the, the senior news director for content means. God, I wish I could answer that question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, honestly, we're we're we're, uh, we're a much smaller newsroom than we used to be. So everybody kind of works together. I work with the sports editor and the uh, investigative enterprise editor and the politics editor. But you know, we're we're just a big team. Uh, the senior news director for digital sits sit, was sitting by me when we were at the office, but. We just all work together on the news coverage and planning and all that. And, you know, it's 24-7 now. It's not like planning for Sunday. It's planning yeah. for the next hour. Yep. And um, most of our meetings involve talking about what's going online when. And so it's a it's a much different industry than it was when I first joined it, but it's really exciting. And it's even faster paced than, it's, than it used to be. So uh, uh, it's something I've always enjoyed from the beginning. So was your start at the news record? It was. Uh, when I went to the University of Cincinnati, I was going to be undecided, and I had a high school counselor who said, don't do not do that. Just, you know, what do you like to do? I said, I like writing. I think I had written a, a story in junior high where I put myself in it. <laughs> it was about the track team. I think I'm in the third paragraph of my own story. Oh, the wow. only way I could get in it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I, I signed up for what UC called at the time pre-journalism. I didn't know they didn't have journalism at that time. But And I walked into the news record office the first week of my freshman year, and the sports editor said, you know anything about soccer? And I said, yeah, I played in high school. And he said, well, go cover the game tomorrow. And literally, that was it. You know, I got to go to the game. I got in for free. I got to talk to the coach afterward. And I got paid for it, and I thought, well, this is all right. And um, that was it. For four years, I wrote hundreds of stories for the news record and became the editor. And, uh, yeah, I was off and running from week one. Now, did you did you get to know my father at that point, yeah, or was it absolutely. later on? No, okay. absolutely. I knew your dad then. 
he 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 may not have remembered me as a student, but I I knew a lot of the athletic officials at that time. And the funny thing was, you know, when I came back to Cincinnati uh, in the early '90s, and then became the UC beat writer again in 2000, a lot of people were still there. Tom Hathaway mm-hmm. was he was the sports information director when I was a student. I think he had just started. Um, and then uh, your your dad was there. But, you know, and that's why I remembered your dad, because when I was a student, you know, he, he always treated me very well. And, and uh, you know, when you're a student, it's hard to get that. But mm-hmm. there, were, there were certain people in that department who just who always treated me well and, and were uh, respectful and professional. And, uh, you know, I always I always appreciated that. And you, you mentioned, um, you know, covering the Bearcats and you covered them uh, when you were with the Enquirer. Now, what years did you cover UC basketball? Yeah, that was um, it was right after Kenyon left, and, and you. Yeah, uh, I'll call it the Meeker era. No, okay, um, <laughs> of all I had, players. Uh, I, I I came in after Kenyon left, and Steve Logan was a junior, and I think um, I think I had Lowe's last two years, and then I think another one after that before I I moved into the management side. Because mm-hmm. I I gave up the beat right when Hugs had his heart attack, so that was 2002 or three. Okay. Um, but yeah, but I was around the program. In fact, I I covered the Final Four team for the Alumni Magazine. I had just moved back to Cincinnati to work for the Alumni Magazine, and they started you know making a run the NCAA tournament. And I was telling the people in the office like this is a big deal, mm-hmm. and uh, they sent me on the road. So I was in. Kansas City when they beat Memphis and to go to the Final Four, and I was in Minneapolis for the Final Four, and that's how I I got to know some of these guys a little bit, but I've gotten to know them even more over the years. It seems like you covered, you know, the Bearcats for much longer than that. It seemed like you were there for a long time, right? It does seem like it, and uh, well, and I covered Xavier for several years, but I for some reason I covered the Crosstown Shootout for like I want to say like fifteen years. They even when I wasn't covering either team, they would have me go do the main, the main story um, on the crosstown shootout. And then mm-hmm. I got to know Coach Huggins during that Final Four year because I was, I was covering it for the alumni magazine. But yeah, I know it does seem like I've covered probably more than I have. Yeah, I don't know. Now we're, we're going to jump into uh, your book, Tales from the Cincinnati Bearcats Locker Room. Um, but I, I do want to ask you this question. Um, you you left journalism from 2010 to 2018, correct? Uh, 2009, yeah. I left. Okay, okay. Um, and, and during that time is when you wrote the book. No, no. What happened? The book actually, I wrote the book in 2004. The first edition of that book okay. has Kenyon Martin on the cover. And I was the deputy sports editor when I wrote it in 2004. And then in 2014, I was contacted by a New York publisher that had bought the rights to it, whatever that meant. And they asked if I wanted to update it. And that was uh, Sean Kilpatrick's senior year. And I said I would do it. So I worked on it for, I don't know, maybe six months. And so they came out with a second edition in 2014. But gotcha. most of the okay. most of the interviews were 16 years ago, which is why I had to study up this morning <laughs> to make gotcha. sure I would remember something about it. But um, yeah, so uh, I just I 
I just happened to get that call and I didn't want anyone else updating my book. So I decided yeah. to do it myself. Yeah. Um, and, and you said, you mentioned you put uh, Sean Kilpatrick on the cover. Yeah. Why Sean? Why Sean? Well, I mean, if you remember his senior year, he was, he was on fire and he was the hottest thing. And I, I, I do remember, um, the publisher wanted, I think, Oscar on the cover. But at that point in time, Sean Kilpatrick was having, you know, one of the all-time great seasons. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if I would have redone it in 2002, it probably would have been Logan. But uh, it's just timing. You know, Kenyon was hot, you know, uh, a few years before the first edition came out. And then I think Sean was a no-brainer. He was not only great. Uh, the player, but he was so popular with fans. Oh, no question. Um, yeah. In fact, I, when the book came out, um, I tweeted, I think I tweeted the cover at him. And long story short, he came over to my house and signed a hundred books. I gave him a case. He signed a hundred books and I posted on social media that I had hundred books on by, signed by Sean. And I think they were gone in like 24, 48 hours. Wow. Yeah, he was. Wow. You know, he was at his height of popularity. You know, no question. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the reason I asked you that, and I, I knew your answer, but one of the reasons I asked you that was because I got to tell you an interesting story, and it ties into you know you you put someone like Sean Kilpatrick on your cover, but the funniest story. So when I was in the process of writing my book, Walk of a Lifetime, and uh, you remember Simon Anderson. Yeah. Um, you know, Dr. Anderson um was my publisher uh and editor at the time for the for the book and uh Sam Dunn and Mark Brown um were you know helping writing it and we, we had a meeting and we were talking about the artwork for the cover. And I am not kidding you. This was actually the meeting. We were trying to decide what the cover was gonna look like <laughs> and Dr. Anderson has uh you know, he's passed away. Um, when, when just truly, truly a great human being, great man, he looked at us in the meeting and said, I have an idea for the cover. Have I ever told you the story? I, it's sounding familiar. Um, there's a chance it's in the book, but keep going. Keep going. He, he, said, he said to me, he goes, let's put Kenyon Martin on the cover. Oh. <laughs> we all looked at each other, and we were like, Okay, wait. You 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 read the book, right? You 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 like you read through the whole thing, right? And he goes, he goes. No offense to you, Alex, but if they see Kenyon on the cover, it's gonna sell. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh, I, I, and, I. And as I've said to you many times, it's not about writing the book; it's about selling the book. It uh, is. The, and it, and if Kenyon would have signed uh, five thousand of those, they would have been gone. But that book sold pretty darn well, anyway. It did. Thank you. And. and, and, and and it still is, I think. It is. It is. Thank you very much. And a lot of that has sure. to do with Dr. Anderson and his, I mean, his ability to go to, you know, Joseph Beth, and he would drive over to these places, and he would not leave until they bought books. Yeah. He was, you remember him, he was a strong-willed guy from Wisconsin, great, great guy, but we had a little battle on that cover. <laughs> so. That would have been hilarious. I, I know. I was like, uh, I don't know about this one, but um, <laughs> let's um, you know, let, let's jump into the book. So, what what made you write the book? 
Yeah, so the, the company um, called me. I, I knew a guy at that company. He had been a sports information director at Illinois when I covered Purdue. And he called me when I was at the Inquirer, and he said, hey, we do these books all over the place with all different programs. It's kind of tales from the locker room, and everybody does them differently. And do you know anybody in the market who could do the University of Cincinnati? Our publishers is interested. And I called him back the next day, and I said, what about me? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I basically nominated myself. and For sure. Uh, and then, As you should have. Uh, I'm not sure how everybody did theirs. A lot of people just wrote them from memory. Like, you know, a guy like Dan Horde could probably just sit down and write his own without having to talk to people. But I, I thought it would be really cool to try to track down former players, coaches, administrators. And if I remember correctly, I think I ended up talking to like 75 or 85 different people and uh, some really remote people that took me weeks and months to track down and I just would call them up, introduce myself, and ask them to tell me their favorite memories or their behind-the-scenes stories, uh, something from the locker room, something from the huddles, something from recruiting. And, you know, it's like all interviews. You know, some were fascinating. Some were more interesting than others. But, boy, just, just to be able to record that kind of history, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of what you're doing. And I – when I when I think back to some of the people I interviewed, Alex, who are no longer with us, um, Tony Yates, yeah. Chuck Majak, Jack Twyman, Ron Bonham, Pat Cummings, Dan Peters, there's probably more. I mean, it's sad, but I did feel at some point like I'm recording, I'm recording the history, the anecdotal history, with yeah. our stories, and and you know to, to have Tony Yates talk about you know, himself, his thinking behind the, the slowdown game against Kentucky, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember saying to someone at UC, you want to get all these people to talk on video um, because somehow you got to preserve this history. You know, yep. Oscar talking about all the things he endured in, in the arenas and the hotels and restaurants, I mean, that is a really important part of UC history. And so it's, it's one thing I love about your podcast is, you know, you're you're doing a lot of the, um, you know, the younger generation, but you're, rec- you know, you're recording the history of some of these players, and it's it's really valuable because, uh, you know, a, a lot of the people I talk to aren't around anymore, and I I feel very fortunate that I recorded their stories. I, and and I, one thing I loved about it is how, you know, you intertwine the stories through. You know, it, it's almost in that order of every coach. I, yeah, and I don't know why I did it that way. Um, it just seemed like a logical organization. So it is it is basically an anecdotal chronological history that started in the 1940s and, uh, you know, went all the way through Sean's senior year in the new edition. And, uh, no, I mean, I think it's uh, it's nice to go back and read those. And, uh, if, if you if you've seen the book, they're all very short anecdotes, a page or two. Mm-hmm. And when I would do when I would do uh, book signings with Terry Nelson, he would yell out. I remember this in a in a mall. He was yelling, "This is the perfect bathroom book. You can take it into the bathroom and finish a chapter." And I'm like, "Terry, <laughs> that is not my marketing strategy." Oh, <laughs> uh, you gotta love Terry. But boy, he would bring people in though. Oh yeah, that's, he wasn't that's... shy. No question. I saw you saw him yesterday. You dropped some stuff off. Yeah, so you know, um, 
and I've, I think I talked about this um, on the last podcast with Kevin Johnson, um, you know, Terry's family's uh, house was burned down and they lost everything and they've raised, I think he told me over $56,000 on GoFundMe, um, it's, which is absolutely incredible. And that's going to go towards, a lot of it's going to go towards the housing, but then, you know, they needed clothes and different stuff. So what I did was I got together because they needed like XL and double XL stuff. Yeah, so I had a yeah. ton of Jordan and some of the shining star from my basketball program gear. So I got together That's awesome. probably, you know, a thousand dollars worth of stuff that I just felt like it would go to better use with, with him. So then when I get there, you know, there were people bringing couches and all kind of stuff really. And, and that's just, I think the strength of, you know, the Bearcat community, you know, you know, once a player, you know, like a Terry or Sean or Kilpatrick or whoever, if they're in need and, and put it out there, Bearcat Nation really, they do really step up to, to help former players. Well, That's one know, thing I do love. <clears throat> Terry has really uh, – so we, we we must have just missed you. We were there like uh, maybe an hour or two before you were there dropping off some stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Terry, Terry embedded himself in this community like many of those guys, and he's been around for – you know, 25 years, and yep. you do, you be, he is, he has consciously become part of the community, and uh, in many different ways, professionally and personally, so uh, I'm not surprised people are answering the call, and his attitude about it all is amazing, his, his kids were telling us some of the details of the story, and it just, it's incredible, but yeah, no, I mean, I know that uh, coaches in the past who have recruited players to Cincinnati, this, both at UC and Xavier, you know, they would talk about when you graduate, if you live in this community, you will forever be uh, adored in this community and re- and really treated well. And yep. whether that means job opportunities or personal opportunities. Um, and a lot of that Final Four team, those, those guys are around. And, uh, yep. Uh, it, it's really amazing since none of them are from here. And, and I think you're exactly, you know, right. And I've talked to just doing the podcast. I, I'd finished up interviewing, you know, certain guys. I'll give you an example. Kenny Satterfield, you know, when I interviewed him for the podcast, he's in the Bronx. And, you know, he and I, we didn't really talk a lot prior to the podcast. We, we you know, we know each other, but we never really, you know, reached out to each other. After that podcast, we started talking once a week. And long story short, Kenny has now moved to Cincinnati his son plays at Oak Hills High School, and now Kenny's embedded in this community. And his, um, daughter's, at, his daughter's at Xavier, right? Yep, and his daughter. And that's really what the, – the, really yeah, the driving yeah. force for him to come back here was his daughter, but, you know, also other opportunities he could, you know, have in this community. Then I got guys like Art Long. Art Long has now moved here. He's moved back to Cincinnati from New York. Um, and, and you know, why, the, This is why when guys are playing – um, when they're here and they have that platform, they can really capitalize by being um, accessible and, you know, good people and saying and doing the right things because you've got staying power in this market. And yep. uh, if if you do all those right things and then you want to stay in this market, you will get opportunities. But it's really funny to see a guy like Kenny, who I covered, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say he was media friendly, 
when he played, but watching guys grow up and, you know, I, I, I did a book signing with Lowe who I, I had a great relationship with Steve Logan when he played. I really liked Steve and we, I think we really got along well, but I did a book signing with him in Cleveland in 2014 and just sitting there talking to the man uh, versus the kid. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's just a really fun, fun part about having co- covered college players, uh, watching them, you know, develop over the years. And often by the time they're seniors, they're completely different people. Oh yeah. Uh, as, it, as it should be, you know, Lenny, Lenny Brown at Xavier, uh, who would barely look you in the eye as a freshman was just delightful by the time he was a senior, at least with me. And um, so you just never know. Yeah, no, that, that, that maturation process is, is, is fun to watch, but I also think that, um, you know, the universities, not just UC, but I think a lot of colleges need to do more where they have people actually come in and talk about that to their players. Um, I know UC is doing a, a good job of bringing in, you know, speakers. They have me come in twice a year, and I actually speak to the football team. Um, you know, about different things, kind of like what you're talking about. Um, and, and I think more players need to hear that, not only from someone like you that can deliver that, and then, you know, someone like, you know, myself or Steve Logan or somebody who's been in their shoes, been in their seat, and has benefited from, you know, being embedded in the community. <clears throat> so I think the more and more the current athletes hear that, see that, I think the better off. So it, it I, seems... You agree I with agree, that? Huh? I agree with that. And I've seen I've seen both programs try to do that. Uh, they mm-hmm. had a very detailed one with a, like a different theme uh, every month or two or every quarter, finance, behavior, whatever. And uh, I I did some of that at Xavier, and I did some of that at UC also, kind of media training type things. But you know, guys got to want to be, they got to want to learn it, and they got to want to listen. I don't know. That's true. Uh, I don't know how receptive, but look, if you reach two or three of them, um, it's valuable. But there's yeah. lots of former UC players in this market who are not from here, who have made their lives and their homes here, and uh, and they're still royalty. You know, they walk in that arena, they are still royalty. Mm-hmm. Well, I was talking, I was talking to Andre Tate, and Andre Tate says that he spent, he has, I mean, he's Chicago through and through. Yeah. However, he has spent more of his life in Cincinnati yep. than he did in Chicago. I mean, think about that. Like, he is the most Chicago dude you will ever meet, but yeah. yet he spent way more, you know, so and – he, and he loves his community, coaches high school basketball here. So I, I, yeah, I, I think you're – It's impressive. It's cool. So uh, and, and tell so tell people – and I try to tell them, you know, some of the Bearcat fans, you know, they Bearcat fans have been great with me as far as the interviews. They really like them, and people send me messages that they appreciate um, and say, hey, get this guy on, get that guy on. And I try my best to get as many guys on that people ask for. But what people don't understand, and, and would you talk about this, how difficult it is to get a hold of some of these guys oh, just to get them to talk. Michael, well, can, you, can you talk about that? Alex, think about 2004. This is pre-social oh, media, pre-Facebook and Twitter, pre-Google, pre-people barely had cell phones. So it's, it's easier now to at least take a run. But, look, uh, 
there's some people I've been chasing for 15 years and I still can't get them. And uh, you, you let me know when you have, you haven't had Nick on, have you? Not yet. Yeah, you, you let me know when that happens. <laughs> I mean, there, no, literally, I mean, there are some people that you chase and chase and chase. And there are some of the interviews I got. I, I got Kenyon, I think it was for five minutes. Uh, I think I had Lance Stevenson for like five minutes. Um, but then, but then, and then, you know, sometimes you make a plan and you make, you know, you got a time. Um, and this is when you know people are different. Now I, I have a, I have weird memories, but I remember Corey Blunt calling me one day, like we had an appointment scheduled and he called to tell me that he wasn't going to be able to make it. He was really apologetic. And then we rescheduled, but no, nobody called to tell you they weren't going to make it. Right. Um, it just was, it just spoke volumes about the kind of person he was that he understood it was my time as well. But yeah, Alex, that's why I say when you, when you get some of these people, it's amazing to me that you have landed some of these interviews because I know it's really even in this era with social media and connectivity, it's really hard. And, you know, there's guys that I just, you know, I never could have gotten D'Antonio or Art Long. Mm-hmm. Um, but those interviews you did with those guys were fantastic because, Thank you. you know, uh, they they don't talk very much and you never no. do hear from them. But, look, I got uh, probably the marquee get for me with Sandy Koufax, who's, kind of a was a known recluse who didn't talk, didn't do interviews. And I can't even remember how it happened. I think I found somebody who knew him, who explained to him. I think I wrote a letter explaining what I was doing. And, you know, I, again, I don't think it was a long interview, but even to get four questions with Sandy Koufax is like a piece of gold. So um, absolutely. Anyway, it was it was a great. I mean, that was probably the great challenge of the book, and why it took six eight months to do. But that's why I enjoy the podcast because a lot of these guys you don't you don't ever hear from. No, um, no. Some of them you hear from a lot, but that's why I really enjoy listening. And I, I think some of it is is I, I think I'm fortunate um, in a couple ways with the podcast. One is, like you said, the ability to get a hold of people. I think now is a lot easier now. They can easily ignore your message, sure. but to get them a message is a lot easier. Um, but but I think timing is so very important. And I think I've hit a lot of guys where when the pandemic happened, the timing was just right. Like people yeah. were just – they were just chilling out, Michael, and, and, and had time to, to talk. Whereas, like, you've got a deadline with a book. And, yeah. you know, and sometimes people's timing doesn't – line up with your timeline of when you want this. Whereas I could, I could um, interview Nick Van Exel, December of 2021, and it would still be perfectly fine. You you don't have that. If he doesn't get back to you for four months, it's okay. But uh, when you're working on a a project with a deadline, you don't have that luxury. Right. But you're still, I mean, you're still finding guys. And and again, a phone call from you is going to be different from a phone call from me or even Keith Jenkins, because, you're part of the family. You're part of the program. Right. Um, but it but it all pays off. I mean, it, uh, the the winners are the people who listen to it because they they get those great interviews. No question. Real, real quick, too. I want to. You mentioned Corey Blunt a second ago. I remember you telling me a story about one of the book signings with yeah. Corey Blunt. 
Yeah. Do you remember that story? Can you for tell sure. that? Uh, for okay. sure I do. Yeah, it was um, it was at a bookstore in uh, northern Kentucky. Okay. And um, wasn't Logan there? Was Logan I there think or it not? Was Logan. Yeah, I think it was Logan and Corey. There may have been somebody else, and there was a toward the end of it, there was the bookstore manager and this mom walked up to us, and there was this cute little kid there. And he had gotten a book, and Corey signed it to him. And he had a really unique name. It wasn't like John or anything. Mm -hmm. And um, the kid didn't understand that the books were for sale. He thought they were free. Uh And the mom was, like, horrified, and she felt really bad, and the book manager was a little mad. And Corey Blunt stood up, pulled pulled a billfold out of his pocket, and um, and and asked how much it was, and then he peeled off the cash, and gave it to the bookstore manager, and said he was going to buy the book for the kid. And again, it's just you know that was 16 years ago, but it's one of those yeah. moments that you just think uh, he's a different guy. You know he what is. a great what a great example. Um, I mean, even even when Corey was a player for the for the university, he was. He was very professional, and even when he went through his eligibility issues, he wasn't he wasn't a jerk to the media. He, you know, he was very respectful. But to see those kind of gestures later um, spoke volumes about him. And you know, to this day, when I see him, I, we're very friendly. It's not like we're huge friends or anything. But he's always treated me nicely. He's always been good with me. And uh, but just when you see people do those kind of interactions. You know, it speaks volumes about the guys. And Corey's story is so amazing. I, I had <laughs> to do two interviews with him yeah. on the podcast just because he had so many stories and just like stuff that he went through. And he's such an open book now. Of yeah. And, and I I love that Corey very similar to Don Antonio in that they both made mistakes and they're both in a space where they could talk about the mistakes and hopefully them talking about it helps the next person. Well, Corey, and, Corey had so much equity. I, this, is, this is just a personal feeling. I, he had so much equity in his reputation. You know, everything he had done up in, until his mistakes was was perfect. I mean, you know, he came back, he got his degree, he always treated people well. And so yep. I think that, you know, this is a very forgiving community. You know, God mm-hmm. love, we we still worship Pete Rose in Cincinnati. <laughs> but, but it's a very forgiving community. And, and you know, if you, he never tried to hide. He came back with his head up high. He, I remember um, Bill Cook wrote a story about, I think it was Chuck Mayshock talking about, uh, you know, Corey trying to come back from whatever. Uh, maybe I have that wrong, but I know Chuck was trying to work with Corey. But, look, Corey is just a good guy. And even – uh, former Xavier players, former UC players, everybody knows that. And uh, mm-hmm. look, there's um, he's always treated people well. So uh, you know, good for him. He's done some great things. He's done some great things. And, yeah, uh, it's great that he's still. It's great that he's still in the area, and um, and that he's visible and that he's around. And and again, he'll always be royalty at UC. I would think. Oh, for sure. And it's yeah. funny. So so every time. Every time I've been to a UC basketball game and I've had like one of my players or a young person with me and Corey's been there, I always make it a point to take that young person down and introduce him to Corey. And it's crazy that almost every kid has no idea who Corey Blunt is. 
Absolutely yeah. not. It is. And that, it is getting to be that time where. Um, I mean, I, I I teach a class at UC. Uh, there's students who they have no idea who Bob Huggins is. <laughs> this is crazy. And, and when you think about that, like an entire era has passed, and new generations of people are coming in. So that it's cool that the Final Four team is still around. A lot of those players are around, but you know, you're getting to the point where uh, people don't remember who the, who them who they are. And yeah. Um, yeah, that's humbling. It makes you feel old for sure. I know, and I, I always tell the kids Google Google search Corey Blunt and look at all the, yeah. and they're like, oh, he he played with Michael Jordan, played with played Michael with and Magic, yeah. And it, it's just, and that's that, then it's, but it, what's so fascinating so about it is yeah. they meet Corey, and then they Google, and then we're on the way home, you know, yeah. driving or something like that, and they're like, oh my god. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's just. But look, let me ask you: uh, writing the book, I, I got two, this is a two-part question. Who was the toughest person to get a hold of for the interview? I know you mentioned Sandy Koufax, but what, who was the toughest person to get a hold of? Well, the toughest ones were the guys I didn't get. You know, I never got Nick, I never got D'Antonio, I never got Art. Um, you know, I don't remember. You know, Mick was hard. Um, and I think Mick was hard because he had left and there was, you know, dynamics between him and Hugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I knew Mick for so long. Um, let's see, who was hard? You know who was hard to find? So, you know the story, in the, the Crosstown shootout legendary story about the crutch? Raleigh Wynn and Joe Pangrazio. Do you know that story? I, I think I heard. I think so, uh, so somebody, Raleigh yeah, Wynn, I heard somebody tell it. Yeah, Raleigh Wynn played at UC and Joe Pangrazio played at Xavier, and it was a crosstown shootout. Um, it's going to go 1957, something like that. And um, as the story goes, they were pushing and bumping, and uh, Pangrazio ended up getting thrown out of bounds. And then he picked up a crutch from somebody in the stands and threw it at Raleigh Wynn. It's like one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite crutch shootout stories. So I I tracked down Raleigh Wynn in Tennessee, and uh, so that was that's a good little get for me, you know, to find him and have him tell that. And then the beauty of it was in 2008, I wrote the same book about Xavier, like Xavier Tales from their locker mm-hmm. room. And I went and found Joe Pangrazio from Xavier. So then I had both sides of the story uh, from 1967. And um, anyway, that was kind of fun. No, that, that is cool. He was a tough one because he wasn't such a, you know, he wasn't such a big name. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even remember how I found him. But a lot of times it's just a reporting challenge. You're making call after call after call. And. Um, trying to track people down, and I mean, now if that if I were doing that book now, I would just call you. <laughs> but, but, but you got the best Rolodex to town. But back then, back then it was it was hard, and I don't know how I found Raleigh Wynn, but um, that was a, you know that was a great get at that time for sure. Um, yeah. Um, big O. Um, yeah. How was it? So you know, and, and Big O is so interesting. Because Oscar doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. He doesn't, you know, talk a lot when he, 
when he does talk, he's, you know, certain certain interviews, he'll answer questions of certain, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, how, I know what how, you're talking about. How was that? Yeah, so listen, um, again, I, I think I spent a long time trying to get this, but Oscar came down to the Inquirer, and I think I was the deputy sports editor at the time, and then we went into the sports editor's office, closed the door, and he sat there and talked for an hour. Really? And Did you record Alex, this? Alex, it was, yeah, I've, I've got to record it, yeah. It oh, was wow. That's one cool. of the great treats. Um, and, and, and it was so, you know, Oscar, when he tells stories, they're not superficial BS. You know, he's talking about being asked to leave the hotel in Houston or, you know, getting letters from the KKK before a game or getting asked to leave a restaurant. And, you know, it's deep and it's real. And, you know, then I would go talk to people who were with him. You know, Chuck Machock was a was a roommate of his. Mm -hmm. uh, And then. um yeah, I so fortunate that Oscar would spend that time. And it's funny because he actually came out with his own book either that same year or the next year with some some of the same stories. But look, when Oscar wants to talk, he's so thoughtful and it was but I, I remember I remember sitting in that sitting in that uh office and Oscar going off and I mean, you know, can, Bob Huggins can be like that. When he wants to do an interview and he wants to be really thoughtful, mm-hmm. uh, he can be tremendous, uh, or or he can not be. <laughs> well, I do. I, I I I'm glad you said that. I do have a, have a story about that, and I want to get back to Big O. But so I yeah yeah I told Huggs I said hey I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this podcast. I said but I don't want to interview you until. You know, I built some steam, and we've interviewed a lot of guys that you coach. So I, I told him, I said, I don't want you to take offense that I haven't interviewed you yet, but I want to build up steam. And he was like, Whenever you're ready, let me know. So we finally hit that point where just enough guys had kept bringing him up, bringing him up, telling the stories like it's hugs time. So I set up the interview with hugs, and the funniest thing, and he and he like I laid up like like we built this podcast up coach and blah 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 we're doing an interview and he literally drives through wendy's and orders a sandwich <laughs> during the interview michael he goes he goes during the interview he goes hold, hold on a second let me get a number four um <laughs> hey june what do you do you want bake i'm like <laughs> but this but then it gets better so he gets the sandwich ordered for some reason, he drops June off, heads back to campus at West Virginia, and he's walking to his office. I don't know all this. I can't hear, you know, it sounds great. And all of a sudden, he goes, Deuce. So his point guard, Deuce McBride, is walking by. He goes, Deuce, talking to Alex Meacham. Here. I, I, I remember listening to that. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Yeah. He just had, I was just so, and I was like, well, we got to cut out the Wendy's. You know, it's just like certain things we have, but he's just so. He's just so classic, but but back to Big O, like yeah, yeah, that so, that to have that recording, yeah, like that's worth doing the whole freaking book, Michael. Well, and and that's when I said to someone at UC, like somebody should get Oscar no sitting in a room 
kind of kind of like a thirty for thirty thing. Yep. But somebody just for the history. I mean, Jack Twyman also, and now he's gone. And I know. somewhere there should be video of Jack Twyman talking. Yep. Um, and so yeah, no. I, look, Oscars. The historical value of Oscar Robertson is uh, not measurable for the University of Cincinnati. He's um, they should have everything they can uh, yep. recording his history. But um, no, that was special. That was a, you know, that's that's when you're when you're working on a project and you think, okay, I have something here. You know, it's going to be it's going to be good. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you yeah. can't you can't have this book without him. Like he no. has to have no. right. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a handful of people you had to have. And um, he was, yeah, of course, he's at the top of that list. Yeah, if he would have refused to talk for it, uh, I probably would have talked to other people about it, but wouldn't have had the same value. And, yeah. um, but he was, you know, he was great. That's that's awesome. Um, and with Bob, you know, uh, when when I was on the beat covering Coach Huggins, we used to laugh because, if he was in the wrong mood, you'd say, hey, the sky's blue today, coach. And he'd say, you people are idiots. The sky's, you know, green. And, you know, uh, yep. so he would tell one reporter, well, we recruited Logan because he could shoot. And then he'd tell another, we were, we didn't we didn't think he could shoot. We thought he could handle the ball. And, you know, if he just wanted to be like that, he could be. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember kind of taking the same approach as you. Like, I wanted to have stories about him that I could get his responses to. And, uh, you know, he didn't always play along. Sometimes he played along. Sometimes he didn't. But uh, that's, you know, that's how it is. But some of the – I mean, the final four guys were finally ready to talk about him and tell stories. And, uh, you know, Terry and Eric and Corey and Teresa, I mean, those guys are just great storytellers. They, they were holding nothing back, and it was funny. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things you talk about in the book is unforgettable games. And through your research of unforgettable games, um, Bearcat games, uh, which game to you, through your research, is the one that sticks out? Like may- maybe just like it's it's such a great a great story. Maybe not the 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 biggest game of all time or whatever. But what what game really hits you when you're doing your research? Well, I mean, I think for um, boy, you know, it's hard to top Huggins' first game and Steve Sanders' shot, and it's hard to top the Duke victory uh, in Alaska. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my gosh, those are just—you can watch those videos over and over and still get goosebumps. And then, you know, historically, the loss to uh, Loyola. And, what would have been the third straight championship is probably the most devastating uh, bad moment. Um, So I I would say, I mean, it's hard to pick one. I mean, if you were in the arena when, when Steve Sanders hit that shot, you can't forget that. Yep. Um, And then, you know, that, that dunk against Duke, uh, anybody who was, I was covering Xavier at the time. I was in a hotel room, I think in Puerto Rico. Um, but if you were watching that, you can't forget that. And I remember when UC had that hype video before a game, and it oh, ended, yeah. and it ended with that dunk. The place would go crazy. No question. Um, so yeah, those are those are just really amazing moments. 
And, and one of the things I found fascinating in the book is the conspiracy theory game of 1952 with Western mm-hmm. Kentucky. Can you? T- I've never heard that story before, and I'm like, what the hell? A power outage changing the nets? Can you talk about it? Twyman was on the team, right? Oh, Alex, I got to be honest. I do not. I do not remember that one. Um, I studied up all morning, and you will find one that I forgot. <laughs> uh, that, I do not that, remember that story. Um, it, it was the game where, in in it was the game in 1952. Bearcats are playing Western Kentucky. They lose. The Bearcats lose, and there was a power outage at halftime. And during the power outage, apparently Western Kentucky changed the nets. Uh. <laughs> so the Bearcats are a running team, and they they changed the nets to where it was so tight that they couldn't get the ball out of the basket to push it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds familiar. Um, well, I mean, again, the, the the great fun of doing this book was getting uh, the memories that people had. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, to have someone like Jack Twyman telling you that story, and this is how he remembered it, um, <laughs> was just and, – and I remember saying to some of these guys, well, what do you guys talk about when you all get together and you joke about the good old days? And that is one of those stories. But, you know, I mean, here's Jack Twyman who's like the gentleman's gentleman, one of the nicest human beings alive. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about how Western Kentucky orchestrated that whole thing. That right. I mean, that, that makes it even better because it's coming from Jack. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, so that's funny. I I just found it in the book. It's like four paragraphs. Did you pick that out? <laughs> but that that was I remember because that was one of my favorite stories. Yeah, that's a not, funny, that is a funny one. And I think I'm it's like, funnier because it came from Jack. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. And, and the other, and you mentioned this before, but I think the other great value of this too is, you know, you look at those championship teams and a lot of those guys are no longer with us. And you had a chance to talk to a lot of those guys and, and document some things, man. That's, that's, that's really special. It is. And again, you know, you don't think about it when you're in the middle of the project. You're, you know, I had never done a book before and I, you know, I just wanted to do a good job. But when it's done and you're listing in the in the acknowledgments all the people that you talk to and you think, yeah, I mean, how fortunate am I to have? I have a I have a drawer full of little micro cassette tapes somewhere with all of these interviews. But I I remember Tony Yates, who, you know, has had at times been a little surly about his place in history. I remember him talking my ear off for an hour and. Uh, you know, now it's the first thing I thought of when he passed away was how fortunate was I mm-hmm. to be able to talk to Tony and have him talk about his time as a player and as a coach and yeah. document that. Um, so, again, Alex, what you're doing is really uh, – it's a special thing to have these guys tell their stories and, and to document the history. And um, when, we're, when, we're, when we're talking about these guys in another 20 years, you're going to have some amazing recordings of these interviews. Yeah, I know, I know. That's yeah. and that, that's one of the other things that I that I really wanted to do the the podcast. There's so many guys that have never really told their full story. Um, you reached out to me after you heard the Donald Little story, <laughs> and Donald's one of your favorite guys. I, love I mean, Donald, yeah. Donald is a guy. I was trying to explain Donald to my the guy who produces the podcast. He's a younger guy, 
So he has no. The funny thing is, he has no idea who a lot of these guys are. Yeah, and, of course. And so I'm telling him the backstory, and I'm telling him Donald. I'm like, Donald goes down as one of the biggest characters, like in Bearcat basketball. He yeah. was such a lovable giant. If you were around him, you loved him. You just absolutely loved him. And when I reached out to him about being on the podcast, <clears throat> um. I said, and, and I try not, just like with you, and you, you, you can attest to this, I don't tell them what we're talking about. I try not to keep it too scripted. I like it to be organic. And, you know, I do my research, and I have some notes, but we just kind of free flow. And I just told Donald, I said, can we talk about anything? And he goes, yeah, we can talk about the kidnap thing, if that's what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, he goes, and he tells me, he says, I've never talked about it, like ever. He says, I've never really talked about it. So that was the first time. So, yeah. Um, so, I, you know, again, when I think of him, I think of him after games, whether he was horrible, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, he was at times inconsistent, but whether he had a great game or a bad game, he went out and met with every kid who was in line, you know, looking at that, at that, in those days, there were lines of people outside the locker room mm-hmm. and um, he always met with kids and he was always nice to me. And even after the, the kidnapping incident that I had to write about and report about. I mean, he walked right up to me the first time he saw me and was like, have you been looking for You've been looking for me, haven't you? And I said, you, you know, I have. And he said, well, let's, let's talk. And uh, just, uh, I mean, that was the worst of the times for him, but he, he still came up and, you know, still came up and talked to me, but Donald was, I mean, when he and Hugs would fight and get mad at each other, whoo, oh, those man. were some those were some scenes. But uh, yeah, Don, Donald was a. I thought he had a good heart. He he absolutely he, he made some mistakes as well, but I thought he had a good heart. And he and he, and he was really good to kids. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I nope. did. I enjoy. I enjoyed that interview you did with him. Well, thank you. Yeah, Donald's Donald's great. Um, there were well first of all I want to thank you for putting me in the book actually twice um <laughs> one with with Ruben's mother when she passed away and that that game he played that was just unbelievable I mean and Ruben came on the podcast and, and talked about it um were you, you you didn't cover you weren't covering the Bearcats at that time no, correct I did not no. you came yeah you came after uh in fact, Ruben was one of those guys that I never told of either. And so you sharing that story was great because otherwise I would not have had it. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't get a chance to talk to him for the book either. Yeah. he uh, Rube is one of, believe it or not, one of my favorite teammates that I've ever had in, the, yeah. in like on my whole basketball career. Um, still, he and I talk a bunch. Just such a great dude. When I Actually, when I interviewed him on the podcast, he talked about he remembered like word for word the conversation he and I had in the hotel, wow. like on the podcast. He's talking about. I'm like, Rube, I that's exactly what I tell people. You said he's like, oh man, I remembered. I remember talking about I was going to buy my mama house, blah blah blah. He said, I remember when Rod Baker knocked on the door. Like he remembered everything. I was like, yeah. man. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you putting that in there. Um, one of one of the games, I'm not sure if you were, if you remember, one of the things that really, if you go look at the time in, in Fifth Third Arena, the Shoemaker, 
there are so many, so many great basketball moments. But I think, and you tell me if you agree or, or there's one that should exist in this space as well, but I think one of the moments that emotionally just sits above all the rest is when it was senior night, Andy Kennedy was the coach, Eric Hicks walks across the court, and Hugs comes out of that side and oh, hugs. Man. Were you there for that game? I was not there. I was not at that game, um, but I totally, I do remember that. Um, did you did you did you talk to Eric about that in the book? Right. I don't remember. I think so. I um, thought you did in the book. Yeah. I, I, I know. I've talked to Eric about it. I've had some great uh, great book signings with him. Um, I think that is in the book. That was a really well orchestrated moment um, for sure. And um, I I think it's always good when when Hugs comes back. I hope one day. Uh, Mick can come back and have some moments like that here. Um, Cause it's just good. It's good for everybody. It's good for the university. Yeah. It's good for the fans. Um, yeah, that, that is a good, you're, you're right. There have been some really special moments at that arena and um, you know, over the years there's been some great ones really. I remember that man. I, I there was not a dry eye in yeah. the house. Yeah, that was awesome. Oh man, that was so. So covering covering the Bearcats um, during the time you did, what's one story or one moment that just sticks out to you above the rest? Um. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not always fun when you're the beat reporter. So some of the moments that stick out to me are some of the times that it wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could laugh now. No, not really. It was, it was, it's silly because you're basically covering a basketball team, but there were, you know, there were times we were banned from practice, which I understood. There were times we were banned from the arena. Um, I'll tell you one that, that I remember that, that, uh, that I thought was funny was Thanksgiving Day. Um, so my philosophy as a beat writer was to be there every day, no matter what. If the team was there, I was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a way to show coaches and players, you know, I'll work as hard as you work. And um, so there was Thanksgiving, I think it was Thanksgiving morning, and um, Coach Huggins is mad and he's yelling at the team. And then he turns to the managers and he's like, you call June and tell her to stop cooking that turkey. I'm not having these blah, blah, blahs over to my house tonight. And he threw them all off the court, and he's livid. And it was my first year on a beat, and I remember my jaw was like, what just happened? And I remember one of the managers walking over and goes, don't worry. This happens every other year. Yep. Uh, and <laughs> no so uh, they'll – but then, um, if I remember this correctly – you know, I think Hugs thought they were still going to come over that night because, you know, he off the court, everything was always fine. But the guys were so mad at him, they didn't go over that night. I think they ended up going over the next day. But oh, wow. I just remember sitting, I think I was sitting like courtside for that. And I just remember thinking, what is going on? But it was a great, typical, you know, classic oh, wow. Hugs moment. He was so good at those. Oh, he was. So anyway, that was just a funny. You know, when you're when you're at practice every day, you see and hear 
some of the craziest things. And uh, it's why I like to go. It gave you insight as to what was going on. But I always love that story because it was just such a classic. Tell you put the turkey away. We're not having these guys over. <laughs> so funny. How, it's just so funny. How did, how did hugs treat you during your time? Uh, 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 it's a roller coaster ride. Um, <laughs> you sound like the players, too. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true because, um, you know, with, with, with him, you're either with him or against him. And, yeah. But that's not yeah. the job of a beat reporter. That inevitably a beat reporter is going to write things that you can write things you don't like. And, and uh, you hope that they're fair and they're accurate, which is what I always tried to be. But inevitably, um, no, we, you know, we, we fought. Uh, I, I think we had a very <clears throat> playful, fun give and take for a long time. Uh, and then we would fight about something and he'd get mad about something. And, by that time, I'd covered three programs, and I was more of a veteran guy, so it was probably good to have a veteran person with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I Look, I always thought he was a hell of a coach. I, I didn't agree with all the ways he was with the media. And I also thought um, sometimes he did a disservice with the players by painting the media as the enemy because I don't I don't think that helps you. Um, especially again, you and I were talking about if you stay in the market, but look, I, he was mostly pretty good with me. And even if we sparred a little, there was only like a three or four month period where it was really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, you know, and, and I knew everybody in the program. So if he didn't want to talk to me, it was fine. Sometimes he wasn't very quotable anyway, mm-hmm. but I got to know all the players and I knew all the assistants. And uh, if he would shut me out, that would make me want to work harder to break a story. But it's inevitable when you're on a beat, Alex, that, that a coach is not going to like everything that you do. Right. That's just that's just the way it is. And every coach I ever covered, Jim Katie, Skip Prosser, you know, we, we all had our moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but, look, I, I think I remember saying this to him one day. I, I'm trying to be the best I can be at my job just like you are. And so I would think you'd respect that. And, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, look, I, 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 I appreciate his stature and history at UC and in college basketball. It's, he's done an amazing job everywhere he's been. Oh, for sure. uh, maybe one day when it's all over, we'll, we'll, we'll have a beer somewhere and we'll laugh some things, but, uh, it was, it was a roller coaster. Ride. And you know, he'll do that. You know, he'll do that, Michael. When yeah, he's, I think when, so. when, I think I so. He's always been nicer to me when I wasn't the beat writer. Like when I was covering Xavier, he called oh, me yeah. a traitor. He called me a traitor, but <laughs> but, uh, but it was always been fun. And then afterward, I've seen him a handful of times um, since I was off the beat, and it's it's okay. But when you're the beat writer, it's, there's some natural tension that goes on, and yeah, it's, it's a different kind of job. Um, and you're there every single day, so. Uh, but I, uh, look, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was a great experience, and watching him coach was a great experience too. Yeah, no, no question. Um, you, you were there for the Kenyon Martin um, leg, the, the broken. The no, broken. I was covering. I was covering Xavier at the time. In fact, uh, really? I the, yeah, I was on the road with Xavier. And, you know, that doesn't seem like I was always around there. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was covering Xavier in the NCAA tournament. In fact, I remember the Xavier players finding out about Kenyon, and uh, the Xavier players and coaches were devastated as well. I mean, everybody, really? was, everybody was just down about it. Yeah, it, um, during Skip's time, I think there was a lot of respect between the programs. No but question. I don't think anybody wanted, you know, anybody thought that was a good thing. And so, yeah, yeah no, I remember – I remember the the Xavier players being really upset about that. Um, so yeah, tough, yeah. tough, tough, tough. And I didn't I didn't know Kenyon. Uh, I've probably talked to him less than a handful of times in my life. Um, but I know what everybody thought of him. I know what you thought of him. And obviously for UC basketball, that was a horrific, horrific moment. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. And, and, and a lot of people just – you always hear, like, Cincinnati has the sports curse, which a lot of people tie back to the Bengals hurting Bo Jackson. Have you ever heard this? I have. But, you know, when yeah. you're from Cleveland, you have a hard time thinking <laughs> anybody else is curse. <laughs> True. Who am I talking to? That's right. And, and I don't even want to hear it from the people in Boston or Chicago. I, they've got no – got nothing <laughs> in that game. Oh, that's funny. Um, hey, you know what I you know what I really enjoyed? We we had a great time um when we did the book signing. It was me, you, Steve Sanders, John Meeker, and Joseph yeah. Beth. Yeah. Yep. And there was just some great stories. All the I the book signings were so I mean, I, I you were talking about Ruben. I did one with Ruben and Corey down at um Fountain Square bookstore and uh Hardly anybody showed up to buy the book, but it was the best time. Those guys were so funny talking about uh, NBA stories. Oh, man. Uh, just cool. sitting back and listening. But I'll tell you, getting to know some of the guys off the court and, and at these signings, it's just been, it's been a pleasure. Uh, maybe that was the, the benefit from the book I didn't know I would, I would have is because uh, no one was going to show up to a book signing for me. But <laughs> – I learned that pretty quickly. But, so that was uh, that was smart. That was smart on your part to have the the players come in. Well, uh, again, I didn't know what I was doing at first, but I learned pretty quickly. I'll, I'll tell you what the difference was. I did a I did a book signing by myself. I showed up, and there was one guy there. He had already bought the book, and he looked really disappointed that it was me and him. And then, <laughs> and then, and then I asked Melvin who I also, I didn't cover Melvin. I don't even know why we have a relationship, but we do. And I reached out to Mel, and um, and this was my second book signing, and I showed up in the parking lot to the small bookstore in Montgomery, and Alex, there was a freaking line out the door into the parking lot uh, for Mel. I mean, they certainly wow. weren't there for me or the book. And uh I was like, hey, I always knew people liked him as a player. Of course, I think 80% of the audience uh, in that line is female, but we got uh, <laughs> we got in that, and I'm telling you, uh, Melvin didn't stop signing books for uh, an hour or two. It was just – it was insane, and I thought, wow, that's – that." so that's what really showed, uh, told me that I had to have players. And, yeah, um, for sure. I mean, I wanted to UC bookstore at Christmas with Eric Hicks, and we set some kind of crazy record that he was he was pretty proud of. But I mean, people were just lined up, and he was delightful telling stories. So it was really uh, 
again, I met Eric when he was a recruit. You know, he's probably 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, 10 years later, we're doing a signing together. It, it was just really fun. But, yeah, you're right. They've all, they were all really fun. That one that one with you guys at, uh, at Joseph Beth was a lot of fun. I don't think we sold a ton of books, but it was a lot of fun. It was. It was. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, as I sit there and listen to you, it really does feel like you were around UC basketball forever. Like, seriously. I like, know. I swear I'm thinking you covered... about myself right now. I, I feel like I, I was like I swear you covered my time, but obviously you didn't. But um, okay, give me your top, your top three Bearcats that you've ever covered. Just like guys you've enjoyed, you know, talking to, dealing with your top three. Well, Logan would Logan would top that list because we just, you know, people told me he was going to be difficult to deal with, and for me it turned out to be the opposite. We just. I don't know why I worked really hard at that, but um, I the just Cleveland really the Cleveland it. relationship. Maybe, maybe it was. He also let's 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 uh, let's be honest. He also had two fantastic years, and his senior year was as good as they come. Yep. Um, uh, you know, Leonard Stokes was always a professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. I think he probably called me Mr. Perry when I was covering the team, but. If I see Leonard today, he's, uh, again, super professional, respectful. And then, uh, really, even though I only covered the NCAA tournament, I feel like I know those final four guys. And um, they all treat me really well, and they're all super nice to me. Uh, again, in a professional, respectful way. We're not Nobody's best friends with anybody, but, you know, Terry, Corey, Anthony B. Was one of the first guys to just really treat me well, um, and I really enjoyed him. I thought he was super mature as a player, mm-hmm. um, and and also kind of exemplified a little of what Hugs was trying to bring to the program. Um, Therese was always super nice. Uh, I I don't know. I've I've had, you know, I've had a pretty good run with with some of the players, but yeah, you see Logan. See Logan. His senior year was special. Um, yep. Big shots, big games, big moments. Uh, from a little, from a little guy. From a little guy who walked around with a little chip. Uh, you know, I remember oh. him outscoring Southern Miss all by himself. Yep. I want to say it was like forty-two to thirty-nine or something. I was he, there. I was on he that team. Uh, he just, I don't know. Uh, I just, I like Low, and I also feel like. Steve Logan grew up quite a bit. And, yeah, uh, for sure. I just really, I just, I, I enjoyed him, and uh, that was a, he's a great player that senior year. But I always tell people, Logan wouldn't have been great if he didn't have that attitude oh, that he sure. had. For he sure. would not be half. I always tell when I show, when I show like some of my players pictures of Logan, they're like. He doesn't look like he's in shape, and I'm like, yeah, he probably wasn't. The majority of his, maybe there was one year where he was in elite, you know, at least really good shape. But I was like, he was so skilled. His basketball IQ was through the roof, but more so, he just was a nasty dude on the court. I, I the tiger, baby. He came with that eye of the tiger every game, and yep. uh, and then when you know when it comes down to a last shot and you know this one guy's going to take it and he still does it and and then I'll tell you, I never covered um, Sean Kilpatrick 
never covered him, never met him, uh, never was around him. Uh, he had no idea who I was. And when I called him for this book, his season had just ended. And that guy sat and talked to me for like an hour, like we were longtime friends. Awesome. And um, I, I just, again, I barely know Sean. Um, but when it came time to talk to me for that book, he treated me about as well as you could ask anybody to. And um, so, uh, yeah. you know, I've been, I've been lucky guys, guys that I covered at Purdue in the, in the 80s. I'm on Facebook with, and I, you know, I see them all adults with grown kids and mm-hmm. it's all, you know, it's all good. All the Xavier guys that I covered, um, that's been, it was a great, you know, I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. Well, Hey, let me ask you, as we get towards the end of the podcast, I always like to ask quick questions, quick answers. So you ready nobody, for this? Nobody, nobody does quick answers. With you. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, one of these questions that I'm coming with, so I'm just going to start with it. I'm dying. Come on. I need you to name three rappers in Vanilla Ice cannot be one of them. <laughs> Go, Michael. Wait, can I use? Um, <laughs> oh, come on! You're can I me. use Lin Manuel Miranda from uh, Hamilton? Who? Hamilton. Oh, the the uh, the play. No, that's not a rapper. He's not a he, rapper. He wrote he, an entire show. That's not a rapper. That's a theatric, a oh thespian. He's a thespian. He, yeah, that's a thespian. You, I, I need a rapper a from real the rapper. hood, Michael, from the straight-up hood. Is Snoop Dogg? Is, is Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. We got one. We got one. Right. Okay, you got two more. Um, uh, uh, Nicki Minaj is a rapper, right? Yeah, I did not <laughs> expect that one. Nicki Minaj, I was not ready for that. I was so. And not wait, ready wait, for that. wait, 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 wait. What about um? What about your guy Pitbull? Is he a rapper? He is not a rep. My guy, come on, yeah. Michael. That's not my guy. First of all, <laughs> I know that pisses you off. <laughs> he's not a rapper. He, I don't not? know what. No, I don't know what. I don't. Who knows what he does? Like I don't know what that. What space his music. <laughs> rest in but there's some there's a rap group right from one of the biggest rap groups is run dmc a rapper absolutely it's a rap group that's a rap group okay can i use them you can use them all right you can you can wow this was a struggle bus i was i was hoping you were going to Wow. So so when I interviewed Keith Jenkins and I asked him who's the greatest rapper of all time and he said Jay Z, did you agree with that? Are you even familiar with Jay Z's material? I uh, a little, but I could get in that conversation. Like who's you, I struggled to come up with three and you want me to tell you the greatest <laughs> of all time? No, I don't even I, I don't want you to I don't want you to answer that question because I don't know. Yeah, hey, I'm I'm pretty proud that I just did what I did. Yeah, I, I'm proud of you. I, I'm shocked <laughs> of the Nicki Minaj, but that's I'm I'm happy about that. You you had a great mix of um old and new, so that's great. All right, question number two. <laughs> question number two. If you could be any Bearcat player in history, <clears throat> not Oscar Robertson, Oscar's out of the question. If you could be one Bearcat basketball player in history, who would you want to be? Wow, I haven't heard you ask that one to anybody. Mm, this is this is well. A uh, it would be 
someone from the championship team because I want to win a championship. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, Who would it be from that group? Uh, I'll be. I'll, uh, I think there's one guy. There's one guy I could see you saying, "Come on." Well, Yates was the floor leader of that team. Yeah, true. Um, you know, Ron Barnum was a big guy. Yeah, and Han was the. I, I'll go with Yates. I'll, I'll, okay. That, that seems like a weird answer. I just know I want to win the championship. Yeah, that's that's fair. I like that. I like yeah. that. All right. That I was like that. that was a bad okay. answer. All right. That's all right. Okay, number three, and the final question. If you could do a 30 for 30 on one Bearcat team in one season, what team would you do a 30 for 30 on? Oh, I think the final four team. Yeah. Mean, no question. Come on. No well, question. First off, all those guys are great personalities. Yep. Agreed. And great, unbelievable storytellers. And the fact that they lost to Weber in the Fab Five, yeah, I think you would have to. No question. You would have to do that team. Yep. I mean, what a, what a cast of characters. I agree 100%. Yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page. Tell everyone um, quickly how they can still get the book. I don't even know, man. I got a case in my closet. Um, <laughs> so you got to get really, over I mean, Michael Perry. Like sold out. I, 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 you know what, Alex? I gave Terry a case of the old edition. I, I barely, I only have like five or six of 2014 one. I gave Terry a case yesterday, and I told him if he can sign them and sign them, it could be a fundraiser for his um, family. So I would say right now, if you want to buy that book, reach out to Terry Nelson on Facebook and get it from him, so oh, that you awesome. can so that you can donate uh, help really out cool. his family. Really cool. Um, I, that that's what I would say right now. Um, that would be a good use. That was a good use of a case of books. Excellent. But I really I think I've only got five or six left in the 2014s. They've they've all Bearcat fans have been great. It's all really well and. Yeah, I, I really didn't come on here to pitch anything. I, it was just fun to talk to you. No, I reached out to you. I reached yeah. out to you. and I, after, I asked Larkin, you to... after Larkin. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, from now on, I'll always him make... about rappers? Uh, no, I don't think I did. I'm... Yeah, I don't think I, I did. I, okay. I, he, he's, he comes, he's an R&B type of guy, I think, like the smooth. He likes Luther Vandross or something. So I'd have to ask I him the top. I thought you were going to say like Air Supply. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Michael, that's a whole other, that's a whole other discussion. Hey, I, no, I, I do appreciate your time. Um, also appreciate your friendship. You've always been great to me. Um, if you remember, we would get breakfast downtown at First Watch. Yeah, I don't and, even know uh, how that started either, Alex. I don't even know how we. Uh, I don't even know how we started knowing each other, but it's always been fun and always enjoyed getting together and seeing you and talking. But I, it, it, I don't remember how all that started either. When I called you for the book, I don't think I don't. I had never covered you either. You you didn't, and and the the thing is, I think one thing that bonded us was the the book and yeah. your book, my book. We started talking book talk, had lunch. Hey, you know, Michael, what did you go through with your book? Blah blah blah. That kind of yeah yeah. I you know, really... I remember about your book for my kids when my sons were younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are they Don't doing, by the way? Truck. How's your family? 
good older one's a junior at South Carolina. He's down there with Andy Astley from UC. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Frank yep. Martin. And um, yep. goes to all those games. And then the other two are high school seniors, and they're picking out their colleges right now. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Goes fast, man. <laughs> it does. Goes. <laughs> Yeah. Goes fast. Well, well. Listen. I, I thank you again for your friendship. Thank you again for your time, and thank you for this book, this piece of history. And a lot of people that are Bearcat fans that don't have it need to make sure they get their hands on it because it's <laughs> a lot of great stories in here. So I appreciate you. It's probably one of the few that that I mean, you document so much history of a lot of these people that have passed away and all that stuff. A lot of a lot of great stuff in there. So. Yeah, definitely long long time fans really liked it because you know you you worked in the forties and fifties and they were happy to read about that. So it's all great. Well, thank yeah. you, Alex. I appreciate your afternoon to be on. No problem, no problem. Hey, Michael, we'll we'll catch up and good luck to your Browns. I don't know how they're doing with, with getting, zero wide receivers. They're getting whooped by the Jets right now, so it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, hey, Michael, we'll, we'll definitely uh, be in touch. And thanks again. All right. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. I want to thank everyone for listening to Season 2 of The Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat. Big Meach 41, and I'm now dancing on TikTok at Alex Meacham 41. I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!